Hi everyone, it's my last few days in New York, and I have all kinds of things planned for the next few days. And I thought, especially since I'm still here in the city that never sleeps, staying right near the Great White Way, or whatever they call it these days, that it might be nice to reconstitute a bonus episode that I published last summer. At that time, I did a three-part episode on Forgotten Broadway. The first two parts were released to my general audience, and the third part was a special bonus episode for my supporters on Patreon. And it's that episode that I am now publishing today for all of my listeners to enjoy. When I was preparing those episodes last summer, I had the assistance of my dear friend John Coughlin, who knows a whole hell of a lot more about this repertoire and this material and its history than I do. So I'm very happy that he will be giving me a little push this week on his own social media. Always nice to have a little help from your friends. Speaking of which, the podcast survives in great part thanks to the generosity of my Patreon supporters. This was a bonus episode, so I'm simply publishing it exactly as it appeared last summer. I'm also on my Linktree page making the first two episodes of the Forgotten Broadway series easily accessible if any of you are interested in hearing those episodes as well. If any of you listening would like to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody and you can make a pledge from any amount from $2 on up a month or $25 a year on up and you will gain access to all 60 bonus episodes that I've already published, and I'm still dreaming up wonderful new ways of bringing you additional bonus material. I'm a bit of a slow mover in that regard, but I've got all kinds of wonderful plans, so do stay tuned with me for that. So do stay tuned with me for that, and for those who already do support the podcast, thank you, thank you, from the bottom of my heart. To lead off the episode, I do want to include a tribute to a beloved American comedy icon, Carol Burnett, who last week celebrated her 90th birthday. She appeared in two different musicals on Broadway at the beginning of her career. Of course, 1959's Once Upon a Mattress is the one that had more legs than the other one did, 1964's fade out, fade in, which had music by Julie Stein and lyrics by Betty Comden and Adolph Green. It's a show about Hollywood in the 1930s, and she is an usher who gets her big break and becomes a star of the silver screen. The show had all the elements needed for it to be a gigantic hit, but it was beset by so many complications that eventually devolved into lawsuits and accusations and the involvement of actors' equity. It's a very complicated history. Its opening was delayed, and then it went on an additional hiatus because of a physical injury that Carol Burnett sustained, and by the time it returned, the fizz 
had gone out of it. But listen to this show-stopping number, Go Home Train, and tell me that Carol Burnett did not have it in her to be the most gigantic star of Broadway musicals. If television hadn't intervened and brought her even greater fame, I think she would have become exactly that. Go home train, I'm not leaving today, got too many things to Happy birthday, Carol Burnett. And now, here's the episode as it was published last summer. Enjoy! Hello, everyone, and welcome to this bonus episode of Counter Melody. I am your host, Daniel Gundlach, and as always, this episode of Counter Melody will focus on the topic about which I am most passionate, great singers and great singing. So, without any further ado, here's today's episode. Bridges of St. Clair. I guess you've never heard of Mira. It's very small, but still, it's there. They have the very greenest trees and skies as bright as flame. But what I like the best in Mira 
is everybody new my name can you imagine that can you imagine that everybody knew my name a room that strange is never cozy a place that strange is never sweet i want to have a chair that knows me and walk a street that knows my feet i'm very far from me to find a place i've got to find a place where everything can be the same a street that i can know and places i can go where everybody knows my name can you Hi everyone, welcome to the third Forgotten Broadway episode. This one's a bonus for all of my wonderful Patreon supporters. So first of all, I'll start off with a great big thank you to all of you. And then I will tell you that what we just heard was the song Mira from Carnival, a 1961 musical with words and music by Bob Merrill, whom we will be encountering again later in the episode. The singer was... Anna Maria Albergetti. Now, I grew up in such a time that I remember her on television commercials, and I'm pretty sure that she was advertising spaghetti sauce. Carnival was based on a short story by Paul Gallico that also formed the basis for the movie musical Lily that starred Leslie Caron and the delicious Mel Ferrer. David Merrick, that Broadway powerhouse, was responsible for bringing that story to the Broadway stage. Initial actresses who were considered for the role of Lily were both Carol Lawrence, who had, of course, created the role of Maria in West Side Story, and Leslie Caron, who had been in the film version of the piece. Anna Maria Albergetti was not known as a stage performer at all but had been performing as a soprano since the age of eight, and Merrick heard her, liked her very much, and cast her. Though Albergetti won a Tony for her portrayal, actually it was a split vote, and she shared the Tony that year with Diane Carroll for her part in No Strings. But this was Albergetti's only Broadway appearance, her decision to devote herself more to her cabaret and singing career may have had something to do with her extremely contentious relationship with David Merrick, who developed really an intense hatred for her. 
Anyway, that was in 1961 on Broadway. We're going to be looking also at some off-Broadway material this time round, and we're going to start with a show called Salvation that was the brainchild of C.C. Courtney and his creative partner, Peter Link. It's a show about the evils of organized religion, and it yielded a top ten hit for the soul singer Ronnie Dyson with Why Can't I Touch You. The show was supposed to play at the Mitzi Newhouse, but supposedly it was nixed by the powers that be there because it was filthy and disgusting. I'm going to play you a different song from that show. This is the inimitable Peggy Lee performing in a 1970 recording of the song Let's Get Lost in Now. I find it deliciously psychedelic and also quite wonderful that Peggy Lee, who got her start in the 1940s, was at this point in her career moving in such a hip direction. When it gets right down to the bottom of the hole, you don't really care much about nothing. Do you, baby? When it gets right down to the hot, hard facts, neither do I. When someone hands you the problem of the day, you never ever have a solution. Do you, baby? When they talk to me over brownies and tea, neither do I. there was another off-Broadway show that had a much greater success in both the short and the long run than did Salvation. I'm talking about Promenade, which was described by Stephen Holden of the New York Times as a mixture of Candide and Samuel Beckett viewed through Lewis Carroll's looking glass. But he also called it 
an exquisite piece of musical theater. Book and lyrics by the playwright Maria Irene Fornes and music by Al Carmines. Al Carmines was a minister who worked at the extremely progressive Judson Memorial Church down in the village, who eventually began writing musicals that were performed at Judson. His group was called Judson Poets Theater. Promenade also premiered at Judson Church, but then began a commercial off-Broadway run at the Promenade Theater on the Upper West Side. I remember going to see productions at the Promenade, which was there for a good long time. It shut down in 2006, but during its years of operation, 1969 through 2006, it presented a plethora of off-Broadway material, both musicals and straight theater. Sadly, it's no longer operational as a theater. But the inaugural production was Promenade by Carmines and Fornes. And it had quite a cast. It starred Ty McConnell, who was one of the early mats in the original production of The Fantastics. Gilbert Price, the African-American baritone, whom I featured in his own very special episode just a little over a year ago. Madeline Kahn, Alice Platon, whom we heard a couple weeks ago in Henry Sweet Henry, Shannon Bolin, whom we just heard on the second Broadway episode, and George S. Irving. A not-quite-complete cast recording was released on RCA Records. From that recording, we're going to hear the song The Passing of Time with both Gilbert Price and Ty McConnell, who portray two escaped convicts. It's to age that we owe what we are. In fact, we're grateful for the passing of time, for the passing of time. It's only fitting, it's too age. We should be grateful that we owe what we are for the passing of time, for the passing of time. Cause it's too age that we owe what we are, and without it, we'd not be what we are. Cause it's too age that we owe what we are, without it, we'd not be what we are. That we, we owe what we what are. we are. In fact, we're grateful. Oh, what for the passing we of time? Are. It's too age that we, we owe what we are. We are. In fact, we owe what for the passing of time. For the passing of time. For the passing of time. We are all that we are. From head to toe, it's distressing to get old. In 1973, Al Carmines produced a show at Judson Poets Theater called The Faggot. Amazingly, it got a positive review from Clive Barnes in the New York Times. Albeit, well, it's very much of the period. Most homosexual shows are embarrassing for heterosexuals because they are either fiercely militant or atrociously maudlin. The faggot treats homosexuality as just a different kind of love. The message is that perverts and inverts and all other kind of verts are more like straight normal people than they are unlike. 
This is refreshing and rather unusual. The Faggot also won the 1974 Drama Desk Awards for Outstanding Lyrics and Outstanding Music. So there you go. There actually was a cast recording made of the show, and while it was not cheap, I did manage to get myself a copy of it, and I got a particular kick from this recording because it features my friend Iris Siff in numerous roles, including as Bosey to Al Carmine's Oscar Wilde. As such, it's also a rare opportunity to hear Ira as a tenor, because of course he went on to become much, much more celebrated as Vera Galupe Borsch, the lead diva of the Grand Chena Opera Company, which is how I got to know him. And if you want to know that story, do go back and listen to the interview with him that I published, oh, more than two years ago now on the podcast. Here are Ira and Al Carmine's in Your Way of Loving from 1973's The Faggot. Bozy, Bozy, how can one love and tell lies all the time? Oscar, it's the only way to love, you know that. Though I should suppress this urge to truthfulness, yes. Love and truth live on different planets, and one of them always dies if they're exposed to each other. And And one one of them them always dies if they're exposed. Each other. Bosey, yes. Bosey, yes. Help me. Love's not different. I can never love you as you love me, but I love you in my way. Your way of loving is selfish and vain. Your way of passion is to see how much pain you can arouse. that has been foisted upon us forever. And that myth is that life is supposed to be tranquil, easy, undisturbed. Our blood tells us something quite different. When I'm with you, at least I know I'm living. And the when storms I'm of life is crying, the pain is vivid. And though your way of loving is torment,
The next show we're going to hear from began off-Broadway and then transferred later that year to Broadway. This is The Me Nobody Knows. The theme was low-income neighborhoods in New York City, and stories were told through a cast of eight black and four white children. Music for this show was by Gary William Friedman, and lyrics were by Will Holt, whom we will also be encountering later in the episode. The first act closer of this show was called If I Had a Million Dollars. Incidentally, this show also won Drama Desk Awards for Outstanding Music and Lyrics. I so enjoyed bringing you Melba Moore on the second episode, and I'm also very happy to bring you her version of If I Had a Million Dollars, which appeared on her 1971 pop album Look What You're Doing to the Man. If I had a million, million dollars, tell you what I'd do. I wouldn't take no more bullshit from anyone, not from the man and not from you. I'd build me a fortress made out of marble, high on a mountain and never come down. I'd buy me a penthouse in New York, New Jersey, leave this behind me and never turn back. among shows that originated off-Broadway and then made the transfer to Broadway is Hair, certainly one of the most influential musicals of all time. Of course, Hair was, shall we say, the love child of Jerome Ragney and James Rado. But there was another person involved as well, and that was the Canadian composer Galt McDermott. Both sets of creators went on separately to create other Broadway work. Galt McDermott had what I would call, I guess, a modest succès d'estime with his next show, Two Gentlemen of Verona, which had a book and lyrics adapted from Shakespeare by John Guare. It's a wonderful period piece, 
And it also had kind of an iconic logo that was quite eye-catching and a little naughty. Kind of describes the show itself. The show starred as the two gentlemen, Clifton Davis and Raul Julia. The two female leads are less well-remembered today, but both, I think, equally worthy of our admiration. We're going to hear Diana Davila in her second act song, What a Nice Idea. Diana Davila was a native New Yorker of Cuban ancestry who also, for those of you who are fans of the show, appeared in the horror soap opera Dark Shadows. She's absolutely charming here. Because he loves her He despises me Because I love him I pity him If I could be her just for a moment while he was holding her i would insult him then he'd be unhappy and not know where to run i could turn back into me and i would comfort him what a nice idea What a sweet idea But easier said than done Wait! If I could be him Just for a moment I'd hold her so close And yell insults at her She'd never speak to him again I could turn back into me And I would comfort him It ends up the same either way example from Pearlie on episode two of Forgotten Broadway, there was another show just a few years later that I think is musically even more successful. That is the show Raisin, music by Judd Walden and words by Robert Britton. The show is based on that path-breaking Broadway play 
A Raisin in the Sun, by Lorraine Hansbury, who died tragically young and these days is remembered as a queer icon. The book for Raisin was by Robert Nemiroff, who had been married to Lorraine Hansbury and who was also the lead producer of the show. Among the many beautiful songs, I'm going to play this somewhat whimsical, somewhat contemplative number, Sidewalk Tree, sung by the youngster in the musical named Travis Younger, who was portrayed by Ralph Carter, who's no doubt best remembered for his role as Michael Evans in the sitcom Good Times. I have to confess, <laughs> growing up in that time and watching that show on TV, I had more than a little bit of a crush on him, especially after his voice changed. Anyway, this is him giving it his very best effort in the song Sidewalk Tree. Sometimes he goes a little bit off but it just contributes to the charm. Sidewalk tree Hanging
Now, at the same time these innovative things were happening on Broadway, there were still some very traditional-sounding musicals happening. There is no more skillful composer-lyricist from that period than Jerry Herman, although his show Mac and Mabel, yet another one, like Goldilocks, which we heard on the second Forgotten Broadway episode, also has a Hollywood theme. The show was not successful, There were a lot of reasons for that, and in fact, Jerry Herman didn't have another big commercial success until Cage au Folle. In the first Forgotten Broadway episode, we also heard Angela Lansbury performing a wonderful song from Dear World, which preceded Mac and Maple. The show was based on the relationship between real-life Hollywood figures Max Sennett, portrayed by Robert Preston, and Mabel Normand, portrayed by Bernadette Peters. In this show, which ran briefly in the fall of 1974, Broadway legend Lisa Kirk made a welcome return to the Broadway stage after a long absence in the supporting role of Lottie Ames. For a show that was not a big success, it has yielded a number of quasi-standards, including the sublime Time Heals Everything, and also this fantastic, light-hearted number, Tap Your Troubles Away. There was a cast recording made, and we're going to hear Lisa Kirk and the chorus girls in Tap Your Troubles Away. Tap your troubles away you bounced a big check Your mom has the vapors Tap your troubles away Your car had a wreck They're serving you papers When you're the one that it always rains on Simply try putting your Mary Janes on The box just gave you the There's years of back tax You simply can't pay If a sky full of crap Always lands in your lap Make a curtsy and tap your troubles away magnificent Broadway altos who had a certain brashness to her, but also an enormous warm-heartedness. 
It's very much a Broadway type, and we examined that quintessential exemplar of this type in Susan Johnson in the previous episode. We heard her there in a song from one of her two huge Broadway flops, Donnie Brook. The other show that was a notorious disaster was called Whoop Up. Music for Whoop Up was by Moose Charlop, who today is most famous, I would say, for the musical version of Peter Pan, which starred Mary Martin. Words are by Norman Gimbel, an acclaimed songwriter probably most famous for also writing Killing Me Softly with his song. The plot of the show is described thus. Welcome to Glenda's Place, a saloon half on, half off a Montana Indian reservation. Glenda's one tough gal until her Native American boyfriend returns after two years on the rodeo circuit. The show also featured, in the male roles, Paul Ford and Ralph Young, as well as Sylvia Sims, whom we heard singing that beautiful cut number from Sweet Charity on the second episode. I'm not going to play you Susan Johnson today. Instead, I'm going to play you a single version of the song Flattery that was recorded and released in 1959 by Rosemary Clooney and her then-husband, Jose Ferrer. You fill out that dress Yeah, yeah, yeah Like no gal I know Sure, sure, sure I've got to confess Ha, ha, ha That I'm lucky to be your Joe Oh, you and your fancy flattery the sugary things you say You're nice to hold You figure if you flatter me That you're gonna get your way Good looking too So you tell me I'm real swell And it's true The minute you ring my bell And I do Well? Well Oh swell Why do I get so fluttery? I know it's a crafty plan mm, A, a typical kiss. trick to butter me and take me for all you can It's love, baby But somehow I just don't care So flatter away while I pull up a chair Now look at those legs down Cause flattery will get you nowhere So we decided we don't care Another one of those towering Broadway figures that didn't really make the transition to film was Gwen Verdon. I don't watch much TV, but I did watch that wonderful miniseries, I think it was called Fosse Verdon, that showed up a few years ago and starred Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams who was particularly wonderful 
as Gwen Verdon. The more you knew about behind-the-scenes Broadway and some of the secondary figures, the more fun it was. But it was really well done. The show was produced by their daughter, and Gwen Verdon really got credit for much of Fosse's success. He was far from a self-made man. She was already a big Broadway star when they got together, and she really enabled him to get a foot in the door as he was starting his career as a choreographer and director. This is nowhere more apparent than in the 1959 show Redhead. The brother-sister team of Herbert and Dorothy Fields wrote the book to this musical, which was set in a wax museum in London in the 1880s and is a sort of murder mystery. Originally, the show was written for B. Lilly, but it was retailored for Gwen Verdon, who by this time was a Broadway superstar, having appeared in both Damn Yankees and New Girl in Town. She took the job, but only on the condition that Fosse was hired as both director and choreographer. Music was by Albert Haig, a German composer who emigrated to the U.S. to flee the Hitler regime, and whose other somewhat remembered Broadway show is Plain and Fancy from four years earlier. He also composed the music and songs for How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So yes, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. That's Albert Haig. Verdon's co-star in Redhead was Richard Kiley, who went on, of course, to enormous success in Man of La Mancha. The two of them are heard in the charming song, I'll Try. And by the way, Dorothy Fields also wrote the lyrics. You're better than all the bankers and lawyers and greengrocers and princes and kings rolled into one. Me? No. You deserve a great guy. I think you're a great guy. I mean a really great guy. I mean a really great guy. Well, I'll try. I'll try to be that guy. You are the guy. No other need apply. You should have excitement. I should have excitement. And you demand a supply. Will you supply the demand? Well, I'll try. That's how I had it planned. You had it planned? And ain't it simply grand? I'll try to make you oh so proud of me. I will be sober and refined. Thanks very much, but you don't have to be. I mean, that's not quite what I had in mind. You should have a lover. I would love a lover. A nice, affectionate guy. A most affectionate guy. Well, I'll try. I'll try to satisfy. You'll satisfy the question is, have a pyramid to recline on. You should have a platinum opera hat. Carpet made of ermine to spill your wine on. <laughs> you should have a tennis court in your flat. For punting on the Thames, the Aquitania should be yours. A diamond mine the size of Transylvania should be yours. Windsor Castle. Painted blue. The Brooklyn Bridge. A private zoo. Baths in milk. Shirts of silk. Nothing's good enough for you. You should have a great gown. Excitement. A lover. A husband. A baby. I'll try. I love you. This next is 
a tip of the hat to my friend Lawrence Rush, who told me about this show. Lawrence is a composer and a performer himself, who has written a wonderful musicalized version of Pride and Prejudice. He told me a few weeks ago that his is not the first musical version of this show, and that in 1959, a show called First Impressions was produced on Broadway that starred Farley Granger, Polly Bergen, and Hermione Gingold. Music and lyrics were by the creative thruple Robert Goldman, Glenn Paxton, and George Weiss. George Weiss is the only one of those three who had any other work produced on Broadway. The show, let's just say, was not a hit, but nevertheless, Pat Suzuki sang a number of songs from this show on her Broadway 1959 album for RCA Records. In addition, there was also a very nice song that was cut from the production before its unsuccessful Broadway run. It's called Not Like Me. Polly Bergen recorded the song, and it was included on one of her Columbia Records releases. And that's what I'm going to play for you right now. Another one of those deep-voiced, 
high-energy performers in the vein of Susan Johnson is Karen Morrow. Karen Morrow also did not have such big success in the shows in which she was featured on Broadway. In fact, most of them are notorious flops. Her first Broadway show, I Had a Ball, lasted for only six months. Two years after that, she appeared opposite John Raitt in a show called A Joyful Noise, which was an even bigger flop. In 1968, she appeared in a show called I'm Solomon, which had music by Ernest Gold, who also composed the theme for Exodus, and was a one-time husband of Marnie Nixon and father of the pop singer Andrew Gold. Next, Karen Morrow appeared in The Grass Harp, which also starred Barbara Cook and Carol Bryce. I featured a couple excerpts from that show, but that was an even bigger flop. She later appeared as guest on numerous TV shows, and countless dinner theater productions of musicals. I Had a Ball also co-starred Richard Kiley, but the main draw was the comedian Buddy Hackett, who of course couldn't sing his way out of a paper bag, but Karen Morrow sure could, and she had a number of really good songs in this show, including this one called I've Got Everything I Want. I'm not rich, I'm not poor, still I'm healthy and secure. For a time I was lovesick, just in time I took the cure. I'm alone, on my own, but I'm happy, cause I got everything I want. Got a one-bedroom flat, got a self-sufficient cat, I'm not sure my door, heat my TV dinner, place my single mat, single fork, single knife, it's a life free of strife, and I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, so happy I could cry, so pardon a tear in
A different kind of Broadway star was Inga Swenson, who's certainly most famous for creating the role of Lizzie in Schmidt and Jones's 110 in the Shade. But she began her career as one of the new faces of 1956 and continued her Broadway career as Julie Andrews's standby in Camelot. After her career-defining success in 110 in the Shade, she made one final Broadway appearance, and that was in a Sherlock Holmes-based musical called Baker Street. Once again, this was the single Broadway musical for composer-lyricists Marian Grudeff and Raymond Jessel. The show also starred Fritz Weaver as Sherlock Holmes and Martin Gable as Professor Moriarty. And Inga Swenson was Irene Adler. The show played over the course of most of the calendar year of 1965, a total of 311 performances, and there was a cast recording. We're going to hear Inga Swenson perform the song I'd Do It Again, which functions as the 11 o'clock number. Apart from her strange oo-vowel, I very much like Inga Swenson. She's not at all a razzle-dazzle performer. I think of her more in the Sally Ann Howes mold. For though I tell myself I've found the cure And know that I've been weak and immature And state my firm belief That I am glad that love is brief And when it ends it's a relief You can be sure I'd do Again, go through it again, although I insist that next time I'll resist, I'd subdue it, but then I'd do it again, again and again. some Bob Merrill at the top of the episode, and we're going to hear a little bit more Bob Merrill. Well, I say we're going to hear it, although the recording that I have is very, very dim. This is from one of the most notorious of all Broadway flops, 
the David Merrick-produced Breakfast at Tiffany's. The show starred, or was to star, Richard Chamberlain and Mary Tyler Moore, and also featured Larry Kurt and Sally Kellerman in secondary parts. David Merrick closed the show in previews, and his reason was that he would do this, quote, rather than subject the drama critics and the public to an excruciatingly boring evening. Since then, there was a studio recording made of the musical, which featured Faith Prince, but Breakfast at Tiffany's, which was originally called Holly Golightly, is one of the great never-quite-happened moments in Broadway history. This was supposed to make Mary Tyler Moore a Broadway star, and certainly she was always celebrated for her dancing, if somewhat less for her singing. But I'm going to play the 11 o'clock number from this show called Same Mistakes, and this is probably from one of the Boston tryout performances, although I'm not exactly sure the provenance. Gonna make the same damn mistakes all over again, huh? You bet your life. I pushed, I beat, but if I get on my feet, gonna make the same mistakes again. episode, we heard Sergio Franchi sing a song from the Richard Rogers, Stephen Sondheim, Arthur Lawrence, Flop, Do I Hear a Waltz. At that time, I couldn't decide between Franchi singing that song, Stay, or this one, Take the Moment. So, just because I love you all so much, I'm going to play Take the Moment. Take the Moment Flat Hark the moment, make it last Hold the feeling for the moment Oh, the moment we have Buzzing in your head 
after the death of Oscar Hammerstein, Richard Rodgers floundered, and he never really found his footing again, although he did make many, many attempts including a musicalized version, by the way, of I Remember Mama, that starred none other than Liv Ullmann. There was no studio recording of that made, unfortunately, but you can hear a clip from that if you look hard enough on YouTube. In 1970, Rogers collaborated with lyricist Martin Charnin on a show about Noah called Two by Two, which starred Danny Kaye, who proved himself to be one of the worst colleagues and worst behaved performers on Broadway ever. <laughs> This was based on the Clifford Odette's play, The Flowering Peach, which was adapted by Peter Stone. But there's a beautiful song, and no, not sung by Danny Kaye. I do not know a day I did not love you. And it's performed by one Walter Willison, a performer whose Broadway history is very interesting. His debut was in a secondary role in that notoriously homophobic straight play, Norman, Is That You?, which was reconfigured and filmed later with Red Fox and Pearl Bailey. Then came Two by Two, which was probably his biggest moment on Broadway. There followed a show called Wild and Wonderful, with music and lyrics by Bob Goodman, which played for exactly one performance. After that, he was the standby for John Rubinstein in Pippin, Willison's final Broadway appearance was as a replacement for David Carroll, whom you may remember was in the midst of his Tony-winning run in Grand Hotel in the role of Felix von Geigern when he succumbed to AIDS. I've gone on long enough. I just wanted to give you some idea of who some of these secondary players were that never made a huge impact on Broadway and yet, nevertheless, were in their own way veterans. I do not know a day I did not love you. I can't remember love not being there The planting when the earth ran through your fingers The harvest when the sun danced in your hair I do not know Sharing every moment that I spent I needed you before I ever knew you Before I knew what needing someone meant And if we ever were to have to one fact alone is full and filled with song You will not know a day I do not love you The way that I have
the two biggest opera stars to appear on Broadway were Ezio Pinza and Cesare Siepi. But there was another, a Verdi baritone, named Robert Weedy, who appeared in three different shows on Broadway. Most famously, of course, as Tony in Frank Lesser's masterpiece, The Most Happy Fella. But he also created the role of Phil in Jerry Herman's early musical, Milk and Honey, and even more obscurely, the role of Edward Quinn in Mitch Lee's musical, Cry for Us All, which opened and closed on Broadway in April 1970. The musical was based on the play Hogan's Goat, and we're going to hear Robert Weedy in the cast recording in his song Aggie O Aggie as he addresses his late wife. Aggie, oh Aggie, in your little bird cage hats with your voice all sharps and flats. All the mirrors miss your face All the cups are out of place Aggie, oh Aggie Where are all the good times gone? Aggie Now, 
the beginning of the episode, we heard Gilbert Price in that number from Promenade. I direct you all, if you haven't heard it yet, to listen to the episode that I produced on Gilbert Price. It happened to be the very same weekend that Mickey Grant had died last August. The two of them had appeared together in off-Broadway shows Fly Blackbird and Jericho Jim Crow. Gilbert Price found immediate stardom when he appeared in the Anthony Newley, Leslie Brickus show, The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd, singing that standout number, Feeling Good. He also appeared in a revival of Lost in the Stars and a reimagining of Kismet called Timbuktu, as well as 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the Leonard Bernstein, Alan J. Lerner Bicentennial Musical, another notorious failure that opened and closed in May 1976. I am convinced that Gilbert Price was one of the greatest performers ever to appear on the Broadway stage, and yet he never really got his due. He ended up moving to Austria, where he became a beloved teacher and died quite tragically and prematurely in 1991. It appears that Columbia Records might have had some plans to make him into a star. They released two different singles with him that never really made much of an impact. I featured all four sides on my Gilbert Price episode, but I do want to play one for you right now. It's from the show called Come Summer, which was yet another of those notorious Broadway flops. Music was by David Baker, and words were by Will Holt. There, didn't I tell you we were going to find Will Holt again somewhere in this episode? It's remembered now because it was Agnes DeMille's final appearance on Broadway. Again, it opened and closed in the space of a few days in March 1969. It starred Ray Bolger and Margaret Hamilton. And except for being a footnote in Agnes DeMille's career, it is completely forgotten today. But for some reason, Columbia Records decided that the title song, Come Summer, would make a wonderful single release for Gilbert Price. So here's that very obscure 1969 
I have a double header for the queenier set. Not just queers, but all who love Judy and Liza. And who among us does not? I had mentioned Frank Lesser in relation to Robert Weedy. Here's a song from his very unsuccessful show, Green Willow, which nonetheless yielded the now standard Never Will I Marry. The show starred Anthony Perkins, and the story goes that Frank Lesser so despised Tony Perkins that he wrote this song with an almost impossible vocal range, many leaps, extremes of range, very difficult vocally, just to frustrate and or humiliate Tony Perkins. But I'll tell you, this song, with those big leaps, it was tailor-made for somebody like Judy Garland, or many, many, many other wonderful singers, including Barbara, by the way, who have made the song their own. This is from an episode of The Judy Garland Show that first aired in March 1964. Never, never will I marry Never, never will I wear Born to wonder, solitary Wide my world, narrow my bed Never, never, never will I bear Judy had found a Broadway vehicle which would have shown her off in all of her glory. Liza's first Broadway appearance was also her first collaboration with Candor and Ebb, who composed so many memorable songs for her, including Maybe This Time and The World Goes Round and Liza with a Z. Flora, the Red Menace, was not a huge success. It opened in May 1965 and closed that July after only 87 performances. But it did yield Liza one of her first great moments. That is the song A Quiet Thing, which again has gone on to become rather a standard. Here's Liza from the original cast recording. I don't hear anything. You're supposed to hear bells, drums, trumpets. I don't hear anything. I always thought I'd hear 
because I've already had these two very gay friendly performers I have to offer you one more now this is not actually a song it's more of a recitation but it's B Arthur come on in 1955 she was one of a host of enormously gifted performers who appeared in Ben Bagley's Shoestring Review. I've already devoted a fair amount of time to discussing exactly who Ben Bagley was, but this was his very first theatrical endeavor. He was all of 21 years old, and the show had some very memorable moments, including this one, a recitation to a poem written by Bud McCreary, accompanied, by the way, by Dorothea Freitag. It's called Couldn't Be Happier, and in it, B comes face to face with a former flame and discusses how ecstatic she is at his impending marriage. Jim, darling, 
Oh, congratulations on your engagement. And what a beautiful, beautiful announcement party. A martini? Well, all right, dear, but just a tiny one. Thank you. Oh, darling, I want you to know that I simply couldn't be happier for you. I think Pam will make a wonderful wife. And I hope you can see that what used to be between you and me makes no difference whatever. No, I mean it sincerely. I mean, after all, this is your life. And I simply couldn't be happier. Oh, it'll be such a perfect match. Well, supposing she is a little older than you. Now, what's 20 or 30 years? I mean, really, what does it matter as long as she doesn't get any fatter? Honestly, I get into such a rage whenever they talk about her age. Like Amy, saying her face looks like she slept in it. Or, my God, she planted the first redwoods. Now, oh, I mean, people can be so dishy. After all, she's not that old, is she? A martini? Oh, I'd love it, dear, but just a tiny one. Yes, and make it very mild. Leave out the vermouth. Oh, darling, I simply could not be happier. It's all like a dream come true. You know, I've said so many times, oh, if we could only get Pam married off. And now she's marrying you. Well, I hope at least she settles down now. You know, dear, she was drinking there quite a bit. Oh, yes. I remember remarking to someone that I thought she always had that lovely, radiant glow. And they said, well, yeah, she's always lit. <laughs> oh, isn't that frightful? I mean, really, isn't that shoddy? Personally, I think she's delightful. I've argued with everybody. Another martini? Well, all right, dear, but just a smidgen. Yes, I'll say when. When? Oh, darling, I simply could not be happier. I can just hear those wedding bells toll. And I suppose Pam's mother will be coming to live with you now that she's out on parole. How perfect. But, oh, you didn't know. Oh, well, don't worry, dear. No, they say she's really a leech, a peach. Just keep deadly weapons out of her reach. Oh, I'm so glad Pam is feeling better these days. You know, the last time I saw her, she looked like a wreck to me. Of course, she was just getting over her third appendectomy. Oh, another martini? Well, I really shouldn't. I've had one already. Oh, well. Oh, darling, I simply couldn't be happier. Oh, Pam will make a wonderful spouse. God knows she's had enough experience. You know, I hear she collects so much alimony, they call her home the settlement house. <laughs> no, but I've always thought she was a darling and certainly loads of fun, if you know what I mean. Now she's found someone who'll overlook her little escapades the way I've always done. No, I've always said I know all about her, but I just don't care. Oh, I know all about that weekend in Boston and the sailors they'd found who'd collapsed from exhaustion, but I think she's sweet. No, I think she'll make a wonderful wife. Why, the bigness of her heart is exceeded only by the bigness of... But why talk about it? You know better than I. Why, darling, what's wrong with you? Why, darling, you're turning positively blue. I, where are you going? 
I wonder if he was upset. Seemed ready to snap somebody's head off. In fact, I've never seen anyone snappier. Oh, well, it can't have been anything I said. All I said was I simply couldn't be happier. This next song is by Larry Grossman and Hal Hackady. You may remember I played a song of theirs from Minnie's Boys called Mama a Rainbow, as performed by Pearl Bailey. This song is not really from a musical, but it was from Woody Allen's comedy Play It Again, Sam, and it was indeed written for that show. It was first recorded by Tony Bennett the year that the show appeared on Broadway, 1969. The following year, it was included on an album release by Selena Jones. You may not have heard of Selena Jones, but she is one of the best jazz singers that I have encountered in recent years. She did not appear on Broadway, and yet she does a wonderful cover of this song, Play It Again, Sam. She found her biggest successes both in the UK and in Japan, but in her native United States, she's not at all remembered or celebrated. That's yet another reason that I'm presenting her to you. This track was arranged and conducted by her then-husband, Keith Mansfield, a prominent British pop musician. Remember the love song You used to play The song that you'd play When I used to say Play it again, Sam And then you would play It again, Sam It's been a few years, Sam But now and then I have a few drinks And remember when I'd stand here and ask you To play it again And again, Sam What memories that song seems to stir So play it for me In his memory I've nobody else But myself to blame For kidding myself Cause they're all the same Should be a law
so grateful to each and every one of you for your support of the podcast. I'm not quite sure what form the bonus content will take in the coming season of Counter Melody, but I do hope that you have enjoyed these bonus episodes that I have produced exclusively for you. We're going to close the episode today with a number that was cut from Bach and Harnick's show, Fiorello, one of the more successful shows represented on today's episode. It ran for nearly 800 performances over nearly two years. But this song, Where Do I Go From Here, was cut from the production before it reached Broadway. We're going to hear it performed by another Broadway-slash-cabaret stalwart, Liz Calloway whose numerous Broadway appearances include Merrily We Roll Along, Cats, Baby, The Maltby and Shire Show, which has a real cult following, and Miss Saigon. These days, Liz Calloway is more active as a cabaret performer. Here she is, a number of years back now, singing the song originally written for Fiorello. Where do I go from here? And where do we go from here, my friends? Who's to say? But thank you for sticking with me and for supporting me. I'll see you next time around. He doesn't love me I know it's true The signs are all too clear But loving him Moment when he'll know.
My dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Kuntlach.